0: If there is anything the past two and a half years have taught us, it is that things aren't easy and we don't always get everything that we want. Well, that led Kathy Cook to write about the need to develop resilience in our kids. Now, our guest today is the president and founder of Celebrate Kids and one of our favorites, Kathy. Welcome back to The Morning Conversation. I'm so glad to be back with you. You're one of the few handful of people that whenever you're on, I'm all my team knows, man, I'm so pumped. I'm so excited. Uh, I, I always enjoy our conversations together. So thank you for taking some time again today.
1: Oh, it means a lot to me. I I love Nebraska. I want to be a blessing up there.
0: Amen. Yeah. So Kathy, you have a new book out called Resilient Kids, Raising Them to Embrace Life with Confidence, which is very, very relevant, obviously, to the day and age that we're in. We're curious, at what point did this start to germinate within you? Was it through the turmoil of the last couple of years?
1: I've written about resiliency in two of my other books. right? So it has been some something that I've known has great value to a child's development. This book was birthed during the pandemic. When I began to see children more aware of what they did not have Mm. than what they did have parents talking more about what their kids have lost than what they still had. And I totally get that. I respect that, you know, not having a prom and a graduation and a, you know, band concert and a soccer tournament, those kinds of things are big deals. I had an opportunity to do a homeschool graduation presentation during the COVID crisis. And I heard myself say to the students, don't let anybody ever call you the quarantine generation. Mm. Right? Like I never wanted them defined by this unique experience that all of us grieve that they had to deal with during their developmental Mm. years. And it was kind of in that moment that I thought, okay, Kathy, put some words to that. And that's why I wrote the book. I don't mention the pandemic much at all because Mm. I don't want to age the book. And I don't want anyone to think that it's only relevant to major trauma like that. But it certainly was something that I considered as I wrote the book. Yeah.
0: So we need to hear that kind of voice. Like, really, I mean, seriously, because it's so easy to get out underneath all the heaviness of what's going on and allow it to define us. You know, God's bigger (laughs) than our circumstances, even COVID, even lockdowns, even race, right? All the stuff. Off, that doesn't yeah. define us. God's doing a work in the midst of all those things and creating some things unique if we'll if we'll embrace those things.
1: Oh, preach it. That's yeah. so beautifully stated. Mm. Exactly right. It was easy to forget God. I'll just say yes. that. It was I watched it happen and, and mm. I had to be careful in my own life that I didn't succumb to the negativity. It was like in the air that we breathed. Yeah. It's like the World Wide Web is pervasive. I felt like that depressed state was there. So yeah. I wrote the book and I'm I'm hoping that it's going to help people mm. continue on the right path or do a U-turn and start over if they feel like they've succumbed to the negativity.
0: Kathy, let's talk about resiliency. And obviously, many people are familiar with that word per se, but I always like to dive in the definitions and make sure that we're all talking about the same thing. So how would you define resiliency?
1: I yeah, appreciate you starting there. I define it as readily recover from disappointment, discouragement, grief, fear, loss, trauma, readily recovering. I used to think of it as bouncing back from trauma, yeah. kind of like Tigger, I'm winning the prove. <laughs> but you know what, Stan? Yeah. It's not always common that we're mm, bouncing back right. and we don't always have a smile on our face. So it really is more realistic to think in terms of a resilient person does not sit down in the valley and throw a pity party and invite people you know, to the woe is me moment. Um, resilient people rise up and and turn around, if you will, and walk out of the negativity. We come back, we actually bounce forward, Hmm. moving past the difficulty or the trauma into what the Lord would have for us. And another thing that's really important to understand is that it does start as a choice. You know, we choose to stand up when we first fall down. A child who's learning how to walk, you know, doesn't stay down. That boy or girl chooses to stand up. Of course, there's a support system there, right? Mommy is holding out her hands, you know, come to mama. And, you know, the dad's running to get a camera and breaking to everybody that their child tried to do something. So, of course, they stand up and they try again because the support system is so, you know, hugely on their side, if I can put it that way. So, it starts as a choice. And then the more often that we are resilient the greater the likelihood it becomes a learned ability, and then it becomes a part of our character. And and Stan, that's my goal in the book is that moms and dads would want this to be a part of a child's character, which means that we stand back and we let them experience the struggle and experience the joy and the hope and the confidence that comes out of those experiences that we had to walk out of. You and I do not have to think about being resilient. We are resilient. And that's what I want for the people who read the book.
0: Kathy, even talking about your definition of resiliency, you know, it screams out the importance of it because life happens, you know? Like, <laughs> but it does, right? We all know that. We know that the ability, there is zero ability for anybody at any time to steer clear completely of challenges, difficulties, setbacks. We're going to hit them, our kids are gonna hit them. So how critical it is for us to be able to raise kids that are resilient, that can handle the inevitable challenges that are going to come their way.
1: That's so true. And if moms and dads are afraid for their children Hmm. and they bubble wrap them or they helicopter or drone them, right? Like, I understand you don't want your kid tragically hurt. Like, obviously. But yet, if I ask an audience of adults, how many of you have a stronger character because of the challenges that you've yes. walked through, at least 80% of the hands go up. Absolutely. And then Stan, how many of you have a stronger faith in the God of the Bible? Hmm. Because he has allowed you, he has allowed you to experience difficulties. That's Romans chapter five. Hmm. We know that we get endurance and perseverance and hope from the negative experiences. And so one of the things, Stan, when I look at the dropout rate from church and the dropout rate from faith, I think a lot of those people are probably people. people. People who did a U-turn at the beginning of the valley and never really experienced the wholeness of God when they needed him. And so they don't think that he's on their side. They don't think that he's capable of rescuing them from trauma. We've got to let our kids learn through the difficult circumstances. So in other words, you know, if they walk out the door and you know that they forgot their homework, you don't always tell them, hey, grab your homework. You sometimes let them suffer the consequences of their decision to forget. Mm
0: -hmm. I've asked myself, how have I been strengthened through ease and comfort? And the answer is I haven't been. (laughs) Like, don't You haven't? Bad. No, I haven't. Like, I can't come up with a time. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy some good, easy yeah. comfort along the way. <laughs> but like, that has not been the things that have formed my character ever. They've always been through the challenge. Yeah. And the
1: ease and comfort are probably there because of the challenges that you and, experience on the point. way to... Hmm. The growth. In fact, one of the benefits of resiliency is that we grow. We mature in general ways. We become better writers and spellers and soccer players and piano players because we're willing to take risks and try something that's more difficult and take the instruction of our leaders and we're submissive and all of that. So because you were that kind of a young man. Now some things are easy.
0: Kathy, let's talk about what do we do as parents that gets in the way of our kids learning and forming resiliency in their lives?
1: One is we have to make sure that we're not trying to live through our children. Mm. You know, maybe you were raised in a shame and blame system and so being wrong is really terrifying for you. I respect that, I'm sad for you and I want to invite you to seek healing to overcome. But if any of those kinds of stories are your stories, then you probably parent through that perspective. Mm. And I want to say that you can be the best parent in the universe and your children will fall down. Hmm. Your Security is in Christ, and even if you make mistakes or your children make mistakes, there's still love there. Your children are created in God's image, not yours, and for you to think that you can control them is really not realistic. Second thing I would say is we need to walk out of the room. If a parent is listening to us who realizes that they do overprotect and they correct a child's mistake before the child's even finished making the mistake, right? (laughs) You're not going to let your kid learn from the trauma, even trauma they create. Just leave the room. Don't leave the room Mm -hmm. if they're going to be in a really unsafe situation. But parents have told me that they appreciate that advice, that sometimes so the best good. thing to do is not observe what's going on.
0: I think back to raising our kids. And I remember having a conversation with one of my daughters coming to the realization in my own self that if I'm not careful, I could create an unreal reality for her in the mm-hmm. home by protecting her from her own choices. Because when she leaves my home, guess what? There is no protecting not- from her choices, right? We're
1: not raising children. We're parenting children, but we're raising adults. Mm. And if you want them to be independent and creative problem solvers, all of these things come from resiliency. Resilient people are some of the best problem solvers because they won't stay down in a mess. They will look around to figure out how could I better this situation for myself. And let me say that part of that dilemma is the technology lie that they believe. So a lot of the young people today have been raised with or by technology. Hmm. So they expect everything to be easy. Right. I like the undo button. I'm an author. If I cut a paragraph, I can go to undo it. And- <laughs> I'm back. Back. But you know what, Stan? Life doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. If you're listening and you're thinking, man, my kids are so fragile. Sometimes they're fragile because we allow them to be fragile. We we let them have the pity party. We love to problem solve for them. And and I, I get that. Uh, another reason that they're fragile though is that they have believed these lies that they should be allowed to be happy and they demand choice and they can be their own authority because technology has taught them that. These are reasons parenting isn't easy. Parenting isn't for wimps. And you got to be willing for them to not like you for a little bit.
0: Kathy, one of the things that you talk about in your book is the difference between failure and mistake. I'd love to hear you kind of unpack that a little bit for us this morning.
1: Yeah, thanks. You know, it's another example where vocabulary is really important. Mm. You know, we, we as adults, most adults probably think that mistake is um, maybe a lack of effort. It could be a character issue. We made a mistake because we didn't try hard enough. Often we think that we make mistakes because we did not know enough yet we understand that the purpose of school or course at work or a, an adult Sunday school class is to learn more. And it's okay if we don't know it all the first time. So we have a better attitude toward mistake. It's something that actually happens on a regular basis. Kids think that mistakes means that they're uh, stupid. Hmm. So so they don't understand it as I just don't know enough yet. The purpose of school is to know what you don't yet know. The reason for a piano lesson is to play a song you haven't played yet. It's going to be challenging the first day. It's not because you're stupid, but they equated as such. So Stan, if we say, well, what's the big deal? You just made a mistake. They heard us say, what's the big deal? You're just stupid. Mm. (laughs) So I think one of the most important things for moms and dads to do with their kids is have a conversation about what these words mean so that in our home, I can't control how a peer or a a teacher or a coach might use the word out of my home. But in my home, if my kid hears me say, you made a mistake, that means I didn't try enough. I don't know enough yet. I'm going to go back to school with a positive attitude. And failure is so interesting, Stan. Failure for kids means that they're bad. Mm -hmm. Isn't that tragic? You know, we know that failing isn't fatal or final, you know, to use kind of a billboard slogan, a failure, an accumulated lack of knowledge or effort or experience. It's not the end of the world, hopefully. Uh, But for kids, if they come home and maybe a C is failing to them, maybe not winning the volleyball match is failing to them because they wanted to win. And that was their expectation. So they come home and they pout for over a day and you're like, what is the big deal? Well, they feel because they lost that they're a bad kid. So it's important to talk about these words with our children and make sure that they understand, as you said so beautifully a few minutes ago, this is how the world works. Mm-hmm. We don't always get everything we want.
0: Mm-hmm. Praise God, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> phrase that kept coming to my mind, Kathy, as you were saying those things was thinking, thinking, right? <laughs> like we yeah. got to make sure that we, in our own hearts and lives, like I, and again, I think about the verse, you know, guard your heart with all diligence because from it flow the streams of life. And one of those things yes. of guarding your heart is like, what's going on in my heart? What am I believing that I should not be believing? about myself. It's so good. So, Kathy, as we think about this whole area, the phrase that kind of came to my mind a little bit is, I'm using a negative to put but I mean it positively, like what's the perfect storm for resiliency with kids? Like what's the elements that come together that help produce that resiliency in our kids?
1: Love the way you worded that. We have to model it that we don't panic when we make a mistake. They hear us say things like, man, I'm disappointed in myself for forgetting to turn in a report to my supervisor, but I'm just gonna stay up tonight and finish it and turn it in first thing in the morning and and he'll respect that. So they hear us process out loud, maybe how we're dealing with what is a disappointment or even an awkward awkward situation. Part of resiliency is I want more for myself. I know I'm a person of worth. I know that I was created on purpose with purpose. In God's image, I know that Ephesians 2.10, I have gifts inside of me yet to be discovered, hmm. and I cannot afford to not become who God wanted me to be. One of the things that's a perfect storm is they see us ask for help. Let them hear that you are reaching out to your pastor and your elders. And it's important that, and I would want you know kids to see that, no shame or blame. You know, Mistakes are a part of life. Hmm. We teach, we don't tell and yell. Teach resiliency, we model resiliency. We talk about it, we correct it, and we affirm it. So I think part of the perfect storm is we don't say to our kids, man, good job. We might actually say, you know, Jonathan, I'm so pleased that you're becoming resilient. Hmm. Use the word resilient so that they know what they're striving for. If you have a fragile kid who's afraid to fail, isn't asking for help, is hiding the bad work, you're going to have to work at changing that attitude. And it's going to take more than A mom or a dad who's a cheerleader—it's going to take somebody with a coach and a whistle.
0: Yeah, you know, as you talk about the tell and yell, it reminds me when uh, I used to play football. We had a kicker who went dry spell, and uh, I just remember at practice the coaches would tell and yell, "Kick the ball through the upright!" No, let's let's coach them. Let's not just yell at them.
1: That's beautifully stated. Yeah, to to spend time with them, to walk with them, to check your tone of voice, Hmm. to point out the right stuff more than the wrong stuff. If they don't know their strengths, they won't believe they can overcome their weakness. Hmm. And to talk about character, because really, if you think about our lives, Stan, how is it that we stand up and walk out? How is it that that field goal kicker Ended up not quitting and ended up, you know, Mm. getting some records after that dry spell. Character, diligence, perseverance, teachability, concern for others. Those kinds of things matter greatly. I would talk about that a lot in a house Mm. that wanted resilient kids.
0: So, Kathy, we've talked about resiliency quite a bit this morning, just generally. Let me hear your heart on spiritual resiliency.
1: Uh, Thanks so much. It's the last chapter of the book, and I think it might be the most important chapter. Because as concerned as I am about kids who you know, academically and athletically. And, you know, I don't want them to give up on friendship because the friendship is difficult. But most importantly, I don't want them to give up on God. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to give up on on church, uh, even when things don't go their way. Things that we need to be really careful of. I think one thing for sure is to make sure that our kids know a whole lot about God, Mm -hmm. Um, because I came to faith in Christ for his wisdom. And so the answers to my questions was most important to me in my early journey with Christ. And so if I would have gone through a period when I didn't feel like I was getting answers to my questions or I was reading the word and I couldn't understand it, I would have panicked hmm. and I might've walked out on God because I didn't know much else about him. I was allowed to kind of stay in that place for a, a season that was, in my opinion, too long, kind of looking back on it. So, but if your kids know that God is wisdom and love, compassion and truth and grace and mercy, then we have so much more that we can turn to when we're getting to know him and when we feel like maybe there's a bit of a distance. So I think that's huge. Another idea that I would share with you, Stan is that I want us to be really realistic with our kids about what I would call mountaintop experiences. (laughs) I assume, Stan, there are times when you read the word and it's amazing. Like it was the exact verse you needed that day. right? Or maybe you're in church, right? And this, and you get to sing the song that you needed to hear yourself sing. And of course, the worship leader set that set of music six weeks ago without consulting you. Hmm. But there you are. And there's the song. That's God saying hello. And so we have these experiences with God that are like, wow. But then are there also times when we go through a dry spell? Talk about the field kicker. We're all a field goal kicker where I'll read the word of God and I'll read it. Because I want to read it. It's my love letter, life letter from my creator, but I don't have a lot of aha experiences. I can go maybe two weeks and I read it and it was good, but it wasn't like, whoa, hmm. we need to let our kids know that that happens. Because if the only time we talk to our kids about our relationship with the God of the Bible involves the mountaintop experiences then they're going to think they should always have those. And when they don't, they go to Christian school chapel, they go to youth group, they read the word of God, they're in family devotions and nothing aha, is happening. They're going to think either that they're bad or that God doesn't love them or is distant from them. So those are two of the suggestions that I've made in the book.
0: Catholic, there's some story about a giraffe. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. I I have to say, I am curious about this experience that you had in Africa with the insights Uh, that you gained from it. So, yeah, I'd love to hear about that a little bit.
1: Oh, Stan, it was, it was amazing. So I was in Niger, Africa working with missionary families. Mm. And on one of our days off, we got to go to a giraffe preserve. We actually saw a giraffe walking with the baby's legs coming out of the birth canal. Oh, wow. It was <laughs> the weirdest experience. So we weren't able to watch the actual dropping of the baby because the mother wouldn't have done it if we were there. But we got there about 10 minutes later. So we, Ducked under and walked over limbs and came into this clearing. And there was the mother, just gigantic, with this tiny little six foot baby (laughs) on the ground. And it was like spaghetti stand. It was like trying to lift its neck and it was like spaghetti. And it would get up like halfway and then just fall down to the ground. And then it would try again and it would fall down to the ground and it would try to stand. And the legs were like spaghetti, is all I can think of. I found it fascinating that. The baby knew it needed to stand in order to nurse, in order to live. Like, God is so amazing how He creates even the animals. The mother, though, just stood there hmm. straight up, massive. But the mother did not use any part of herself. To lift up that baby, the mother waited for the baby to learn on its own. Like, we all wanted to go rescue the baby, like stand up already. We all wanted it to be easier because it looked really hard and really frustrating. I don't know how many times it would lift its head halfway and then fall back down and then lift it halfway and fall back down. Like, mother, do something. The mother just stood there waiting because the mother knew instinctively or from experience that the baby had to get stronger on its own. And it's just like a chick coming out of a shell. The chick develops its lungs when pecking on the shell. (laughs) So if you see uh, an egg in an incubator begin to rotate, I'm going to rescue the little chick. And you crack open the egg, the chick will die because it's the pecking of the shell that develops the lungs and allows it to breathe on its own. And in the same way, the giraffe needed to gain its own strength in order to be able to stand and walk and nurse. And if the mom would have done it, the baby wouldn't have made it. Wow,
0: powerful. Well, Kathy, as expected, this has been so good this morning. Thank you for not only recognizing the need for resilience in our kids, but for helping us come alongside to help them. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us again this morning.
1: Yeah, appreciate being on the show with you.